Welcome to the Here Be Dragons podcast. My name is Jake. As always, I'm joined by Brett. Uh, welcome, Brett. Uh, today, we have a special guest with us, Jonathan Lips, who is a technologist, a musician, a linguist, a philosopher, and a theologian. If I had another, uh, I think, is it adjective? Is that the word? Yeah, that's t- right. T- to throw in there? Uh, I think I would. Jonathan, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Jake, Brett. Good to be here with you all. It's uh, Jonathan and I now, the, the backstory is we met taking a class together that was probably on the nerdier spectrum of nerdy classes that are already part of a nerdy institution. Huh. For you, maybe, Brett. Yes, it was very mundane for you, right? Uh, we it took was normal. We, I would call it normal. We, we took a class on Christian, human, Christian humanism. What I mean was the, the, the class was offered to everyone, and there were six of us in the class. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yeah, that's true. The, there were six a small group. There were like six of us who were deeply encouraged uh, to take this particular elective uh, in our in our uh, studies at Regent College. And so uh, Jonathan and I got to talking about things, and uh, we share some passions. We also shared some uh, some ideas that we disagreed on, and we went back and forth on in class. And I, I just found him to be a really generous conversation partner and also somebody who helped sharpen my thinking, particularly as it related to the engagement of faith and technology. And so, Jonathan, you have unique uh, background in terms of both of those things. And so we want to explore that. We want to talk about that. We want to talk about the the world that we're living in right now. We're recording this in uh, the end of June. And so, you know, here we are in the middle of what's still uh, a physical distanced church reality. And so we're talking uh, as three here followers of Jesus. Uh, You know, we've got Jonathan on a Zoom call and Jake and I sitting here physically distant from each other because of the realities of life. And how do we use technology in this world, in this moment when we actually can't physically gather together the way that we normally do? What's this look like? So we're going to talk about all of that and more. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. Yeah, Jonathan, I would love it if you could begin maybe just uh, by helping our listeners understand how you got to this point of being interested in sort of the interface between technology and your life as a follower of Jesus. When did that start? How did that start? Maybe some early thinkings around that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, You know, you could tell by all the the adjectives that, you know, I put in front of my name in my bio that I'm I'm kind of interested in way too many things. Um, so it's something that I'm actually working on, trying to be more focused in life. So I've, I've kind of stopped being proud of all of these things and more like, oh, look how, look how scattered I've been in my life. <laughs> but there are some fringe benefits of being really, really scattered because um, I have the opportunity to kind of pull some things together that, that don't always go together, don't often go together. And I think this kind of theology and technology or philosophy and technology, um, intersection is one of those, one of those areas that I've gotten into. So I think personally, um, it came about, and and I should say it did come about in a very personal way, much more so than a kind of academic way, uh, came about as I had been, um, you know, spending years already in a career as a technologist. I have been programming computers since I was a little kid and, um, you know, got a career out of college doing work with startups and all that, doing uh, software development. Um, I'd actually studied philosophy, though, in, in college and did a master's degree in philosophy as well, um, because uh, in addition to enjoying hacking on computers, I've, I've always enjoyed kind of thinking deeply and critically about the big questions of life and, you know, being a, a follower of Jesus. I always um, kind of frame that within, um, I guess, what I would call a biblical narrative or worldview, 
Um, but my studies were really designed to kind of poke at that from, from all the angles and to, uh, engage my, my own worldview with the, the, with other worldviews and then, um, vice versa to kind of, uh, kind of put these things into tension. Um, and so I've always kind of carried that, uh, desire to kind of think about big questions critically with me. Uh, and it, it, it so happened once upon a time that I was, uh, introduced to this um, philosopher, actually, named Albert Borgman, uh, whom Brett will remember because I talked a lot about him in, in the class we took together. And he was a philosopher that wrote on technology. And I had never heard of the philosophy of technology. I mean, they seemed kind of like different things to me. Like technology is how you build stuff that makes things happen in the world. And philosophy is how you think about big questions. And so they didn't seem particularly related. But um, so I read this book on the philosophy of technology and it was it was actually hugely convicting because I realized that I'd never actually applied my um, critical philosophical thinking to my own habits of using technology. I had just taken it for granted that because I liked working with computers and was good at it and um, could get a job doing that and because it gave me a lot of um, power and ability to affect the world and my environment that it must just be good. And I like playing video games and, you know, what's wrong with that? Right. Um, so, you know, that, that's kind of where I, where I was at first. And then I read this book and it kind of opened up to me uh, the idea that um, technology may not just be this kind of completely neutral, um, amoral tool uh, whose um, effects are completely determined by the intentions of the people using, using it. Uh, it introduced me to the idea that technology might have a character which is in some way unique to the whole program of, of modern technology and might, it, not in a personal way, but in a sort of impersonal, uh, incorporeal way, have, have a sort of agenda hmm. that is attached to it. And that was kind of shocking to me because I always thought, like I think most of us do, that devices are not good or bad in and of themselves. You know, you can use a, a shovel to, you know, dig a, a ditch for irrigation and, and water your crops. You can also use it to hit someone over the head with, and that's bad. But Hey, at the end of the day, it's just, it's just a shovel. So, um, you know, don't blame the tool for what people do with that, that kind of attitude towards technology. Um, but Borgman's thinking really helped me to see that it's actually quite a bit more complicated than that. And so I started to then evaluate technologies around me and, you know, indeed my own use of technology from within that perspective and started to see everything in a really different light. Um, you know, I'd been just one, one example uh, concretely for my life, uh, a choice that I made, uh, at that time was to stop using Facebook. Um, and if that sounds like I'm saying I stopped using a drug, you know, that that's no accident. Right. Um, because I, you know, I, I began to see, uh, Facebook as something which was, you know, not only, uh, addictive in, in the way that certain drugs are, but also, uh, reshaping, um, my social and relational experiences in a way which tended to, uh, to unreality and to other unhealthy modes of, of relating for myself and for other people. Um, so I kind of had a, a breakup with Facebook at that time, despite having been a real power user from, you know, the very, very early days in mm -hmm. developing Facebook apps and stuff like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, I'll, I'll kind of stop there in terms of my like history of how I got into, um, this question of, of theology and technology, 
it was really more about philosophy of technology back then. But being, like I said, a follower of Jesus myself, it was always um, related to ultimately my faith and um, yeah, what I see as a real incarnational yeah. uh, Christianity. Now, so you mentioned Facebook at the end there, and I think we ultimately want to take this conversation to like you know technology in the church and how we, especially yep. you know, if I can say, do church in like a COVID world and what that means. Um, yep. When you think about technology, um, Jonathan, do you do you see any like so? Let's take Facebook for example. Is there any redemptive edge to Facebook, or is Facebook like a net negative? It's just bad all the way through. Yeah, let me set this up, though. This is being one guy who doesn't use Facebook to another guy who doesn't use Facebook question. (laughs) I just want to throw that out there before the... No, 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 no. Full full transparency here. Okay, okay, and continue. Sure, Um, I appreciate it. I didn't know that about you, Jake. Um, But um, there can't... I mean, uh, it's a complicated question because God God is is a creative God who cannot be bound by anything and he can find ways to bring good out of anything. Right. Right. So the question of, can there be a redemptive edge to X? It's kind of like, well, trivially true in a way, um, in that God, God can find a way to use all kinds of things for good. But the question is, should we promote that thing? Should we love that thing? Um, and that's a, that's a different kind of question. And it's, I bring this up because a lot of people say this to me, like, well, I had this one positive spiritual experience on Facebook or I felt God using Facebook in this way or that way. So therefore Facebook must be okay. And like, well, that doesn't actually follow, you know, um, God, God can bring good out of evil. And that's actually the part of his whole character and part of the, uh, the miracle of, of the incarnation and, and the whole biblical narrative. Um, but that doesn't mean that Facebook is, is good or an unalloyed, good. Um, so I think it, it's still worth our time to consider what Facebook is and what it does and how it reshapes our, um, relationships. You know, I think, um, there's, there's lots of examples of, of uh, how I think Facebook, you know, creates an unhealthy change in social dynamics. Um, but the, the kind of metaphor that I use is, um, in our natural social existences, uh, there, there are these contours and landscapes of social dynamics, which are what I would call natural. We're naturally closer to some people. We're naturally farther away from others. You know, so news about my, you know, parents would come to me faster and more transparently than news about like my third cousin, you know, so and so, whose name I don't even remember, um, or friends of a friends or whatever. Um, but the way that Facebook uh, presents things, everything is flattened, right? So, you know, uh, a trivial piece of news about my parents is, you know, uh, juxtaposed to some, you know, horrible, horrible, like, life event that just happened to somebody that I maybe don't know that well. Mm. And so there's this this really weird kind of combination that kind of destroys any sort of natural social distance and I think contributes to a sort of uh, flat and featureless social plane. Um, and that seems to be very much kind of the, the intent of it. Like Facebook's whole, you know, uh, stated intent is to connect the world. Um, but it seems like they want to connect the world in a kind of regardless fashion, you know, just like, 
connection for the sake of connection and sort of sheer connection without uh, regard for the fact that actually as human beings, we shouldn't be connected to everybody and we should be connected to some people much more strongly than other people. And that should be reflected in how frequently we see them and um, how much of their information is presented to us through conversations and things like that. So I'm getting a bit philosophical here. No, that's really good. That makes any sense. No, I think that's really good. Brett, now give you a pro Facebook argument now. Oh, this is, I'm not, I'm not going to be the apologist for Facebook on this this podcast. There's not a chance. Um, I mean, but I think what you're getting at is, is in terms of it not being, you know, uh, the, the shovel metaphor of it being uh, a neutral tool, whatever technology one yeah. is. So we can, uh, Facebook's a placeholder for a, a bigger conversation we're having here. Uh, you know, yep. you could say the same of all social media. You could say the same even of, of email to a certain extent. You could say the same of uh, any disembodied connection points of communication that are, are going to form us. And I think that's the, the thing that we want to probably get to in terms of how are we being formed or how is this technology forming me? And so if the algorithm on a particular platform is causing me to be somebody who is, um, is, is you know, not loving because of the way that it's, it's designed to bring things that are infuriating to me in my particular views and the subset of, you know, the, the, the metadata of, of who I am as a profile on that particular platform, they know what to put in front of me to get me to click and like and, and comment and subscribe and buy yep. mostly. And so all of those things, I just think we need to, there's no pretending that it's not that it's that it's neutral. And so, I mean, while I may be the most pro Facebook on this uh, of this group of three people, I'm certainly not a pro social media with 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 blinders on. Yeah. Um, and I, I've taken some heat over this personally because I have three daughters. Uh, I've uh, two of them are teenagers, and one of them is is two years shy of a teenager. So I have 15, 13, 11 year old basically, and they're not on social media. And when people say, well, why aren't your kids on social media? I usually give them a very judgmental answer, like, because I love them. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now, that, now, that doesn't really go over well when you're talking to parents <laughs> of friends of your children, because then you're implying that they don't. And I, I've never implied that. That is not what I mean. But I have done the research on what it does to a young woman in particular, a young woman's brain and a young yep. woman's psyche. And the data from 2007 at, at the inception of uh, social media platforms like Facebook, not limited to. So when I say Facebook, I'm talking Facebook, Twitter, right. Instagram, TikTok, uh, Snapchat. Is Snapchat still, still a thing? Is that a thing still? But I mean, anything I, where you're again, getting... you're talking to the wrong people. Yeah, exactly. Where you're getting a reward, uh, there's like a feedback loop of reward cycle here that is hijacking the dopamine center of your brain, which means that when you're not getting it, you're depressed. And so yep. th- there's a lot of data uh, scientifically, and we're not just talking talking about like three dudes on a call talking about this. This is like, you know, scientifically uh, studied things on a very like peer reviewed level where you can look at the data and say, this is objectively harming people. Now, then there's somebody like you said, Jonathan, who goes, well, I had this really tremendous experience. I I mean, on one of these platforms and I'm like, Hey, me too, actually. Like I've had wonderful conversations on these platforms. I use them, not all of them. And one of the things that I regularly do is when I realize that I can feel it forming me where my brain is starting to think about online world when I'm not online, then I yeah. start to, what I do is I just shut them off. And so currently I'm, I'm off them. And when you said you have to quit, you, you broke up with Facebook or you, uh, you quit Facebook, I can't remember how you worded it, but it sounded like an addict giving something up. That's very much how I feel. And so, I mean, I just had my wife change all my passwords for me because she loves me. 
And she and I said, I don't have the self-control to not check in on this right now because everything our church is doing is online. And so I'm, I'm like yeah. actually more dialed in online on social media than I have been for a while. And we're also in some of the most heated rhetoric online that I've ever experienced. And yeah. being a leader in a, in a church community means that sometimes that's pointed at you. And for my own mental health, yep. I'm just taking a break. And so I said to my no, wife, that, that's... change my passwords because I don't have the self-control to not go log in tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, and that, that's that's great, and it, it's commendable, and I think it's a step that would be hard for most of us to take. Um, and I think it, it gets at one of my kind of core observations about technology, which is that it puts us into situations where we have to be very, very um, strong, uh, strong-willed, and and ethically strong and morally strong people. But if we haven't done some kind of work, if we haven't I guess to use the the Christian term, if we haven't, you know, gotten some way along the process of discipleship, we don't actually have that strength. Mm. And so, you know, it is. It's like it's like giving you know uh, some kind of addictive drug to a baby or something like that that has no ability to to say no, no ability to even understand how it's being formed, and then you know, these connections are, are forged, which are impossible to break. And so I think that, um, yeah, technology with all the, the, the power, you know, the, the cliche with great power comes great responsibility thing. But I think uh, another way of saying that in a more nuanced way is that we are already being confronted with kind of Herculean uh, moral um, tasks that, you know, seem small because they just come to us on our every day. But like the the choice to look at Twitter or not look at Twitter um, is actually a very, you know, kind of spiritual, uh, ethical, moral dilemma on, on a personal level, for sure. Um, but that confronts us many times a day. And, you know, how do we how do we form ourselves into the kind of people that even have the ability to to do what Brett did and say, I know that I'm not strong enough to, you know, resist this if it is in front of me. So I'm going to have someone help me take it, take it out of my, my right. vision right here. Right. So like pull the needle out of my vein. Yeah. But, yeah. But, but honestly, like, so, I mean, just it, this would be easier to do if, if I could visually do, show this, but like the reality is when I grab my phone for the first few days after I take uh, the social media apps off my phone, there is a certain muscle memory of swiping on my phone and going to one of those apps when I have a, a down moment that, yep. that is hilarious because I put them into folders in places on my phone. Okay, I have an iPhone. Yep. I swipe, I move to that folder, I move to the subsection of that folder and I'm like, it's, it's not there, but I just opened a different app that has now taken its place. Like that'll happen for the first 48 hours. And I do this every year where I take them off my phone and have a yep. bit of a social media detox. I've done, you know, a year at a time and whatever. But at the, at the same time, I still really like some of the connectivity that comes with it. So it's, it's for me trying to figure out how do I have um, what may be superficial connectivity, but at times is still, I think, a nice superficial connectivity. I like seeing pictures of my nieces and, and, and my nephews, and I like seeing pictures of my friends out doing fun things, and I like seeing good quotes, and I like following people who put out good content. And like, there's lots of really redemptive ways to do it. Like, if people say, Oh, my Twitter feed is a disaster, I'm like, Well, don't forget you're the curator of your own Twitter feed. Like, if you've got somebody trolling, you just block them. It's super easy. You know, Jake and I were talking about this because this is the guy that was trolling. I was just like, Block them. Like, it's just so easy. Just you'd never hear from that guy again. 
and and it's like that you know that that's taking the principle another conversation we can have about that there is another conversation but it's but at the same time is like i mean this is what paul wrote to the in the pastoral epistles like have you know once twice three times have nothing to do with that person and i'm like i have no problem with that um because at the end of the day like the people i'm following the news sources i'm following those are things that i've decided to follow those are choices just like you said there's a choice whether to look at it or not you have a choice on what you're consuming and so you can, for uh, in a large part. Now, the, the fact is, I'm off it right now because it was destroying my mental health. There's something to yeah. be said for this. And there's a bigger, non-neutral part of it that we have to be able to talk about. Ab- yeah, absolutely. And and the fact that you brought up that, you know, we're in control of our feeds and all that, like, I think raises another really good point that we need to consider, which is that these things are presented to us as areas where we can have complete control. Um, and there's a lot of danger that comes with that. And again, it's the whole like great power, great responsibility thing. Um, what is our responsibility to the truth? And what is our responsibility to, um, you know, be, be exposed to the world in as real a way as, as we can imagine? Obviously, we can't, you know, just perceive truth directly. But if we curate a feed such that we only ever see things that we're already likely to agree with. And this isn't your motivation, Brad. Sure, that's a deep echo chamber that happens. Getting rid of a troll. But like, yeah, the, the same mechanisms whereby you get rid of a troll are, are the ones whereby you create these echo chambers that are in large part responsible for a lot of the, I think, a lot of the current chaos Absolutely. where where people are not hearing and not listening to each other. And I think really... Uh, unmoored from any kind of reality and any kind of, you know, truth anymore, which so, is a hugely dangerous. Which I, I, which I do think. So I grew up in a very small town in central Alberta, very small town. Everyone looked like me. Everyone thought like me. Everyone talked like me. Everyone, you know, largely everyone was the same. It was a very monolithic part of our country. Um, and it, so on one hand, social media, we can curate our own echo chamber where all we're doing is talking to people who are, you know, really into X, Y, and Z, right? And these things are like the things and we're going to we're really, really into these things. And then we just all talk about them all the time, which is like, you know, we joke around. One of the guys on staff, you know, we've had some interviews that we've done like with three the, the three pastors of the three churches who are all preachers and he's he just cracks jokes that the preachers are going to preach. So we get together and we just start talking and eventually all three of us are preaching to and at each other with each other and it's just preachers are going to preach. But if that's the environment that I live in 24-7 where it's just just guys who already agree with all of the nuances theologically and I'm never being challenged, well, that's a problem. But in the same way, you know, 25, 30 years ago, growing up in a small town in, in you know, half an hour outside of a very small city in a very low population province in a very spread out Canada... I grew up in an echo chamber. It just wasn't online. It was in person yep. and very yep. few people. And so in, on one hand, you've got this online environment that allows you to experience more things uh, in terms of the realm of ideas that you might not have access to if it was just limiting me to the public library of the town that I grew up in. While at the same time, I can still then curate my own little echo chamber. And so I think it comes down to the human condition. I mean, we are just prone to do these kind of things uh, and we have to look at all the tools that are at our disposal and make sure that we're digging irrigation ditches and not hitting people over the head. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that, I think additionally, I would say that, um, when you're in a small town in, in Alberta and everyone around you is, you know, white and, you know, whatever the situation is, you kind of have a sense that that's where you are. Uh, I mean, you, for a while, you may not realize that that's not the whole world. 
but at a certain point you kind of you kind of realize i mean or if you grow up in in some other country you realize very quickly that you're not in north america the you know great babylon or whatever of today um and but but on i I, th- I, I guess I'm agreeing with you at the same time as I'm saying that there, there, is a, there is something new that's happening in the way that we can create these highly specific, highly individual echo chambers that then uh, when we step out, like, you know, most of the people I follow on Twitter live in big cities, um, judging by the, the things they say and their bios and whatever. Uh, and what I see in my time living in San Francisco, for example, is a lot of, you know, quote, diversity a lot of individuality. Um, but when you go outside, there's zero neighborliness. So it's almost like you have all of these individuals walking around in their own little bubbles. Um, and they're connected to the other people that are like them in their online echo chambers, or maybe their, you know, physical meetups that they go to with their, you know, crazy subcultures that they're a part of. But as they're walking on the street, you can just tell that these are people inside cocoons that don't look at each other, don't bump into each other, um, and that that feels that mm. feels new to me. Uh, I'm you know not that old, so I don't have the context of the whole of human history here. But that feels that feels new, and that feels like it is a a physical manifestation of what we have been doing uh, in social media. Jonathan, I think that's a good segue to where I want to go next. Uh, you wrote, um, just talking about technology in the church, and now we live this yeah. out as followers of Jesus. You wrote a, a blog post on your blog called COVID-19 VR Church and Ordinary Embodied Human Existence. Do you want to talk a bit about uh, the impetus to write that blog and sort of what your aim was uh, in writing that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it actually started a long time ago. I think at the same time, Brett and I were taking the class together last year, um, I was uh, made aware of a, a video, it might have even been on CNN or something, about the phenomenon of virtual reality church. Um, and it was, a, it was a video, and it talked about this gentleman who had created this virtual reality church where people join in their VR headsets, and they you know, pick a, pick a body uh, and an avatar, and there are all these like strange, blocky characters walking around. But there's actual... like virtual reality pews and it's a sort of i don't know it's a kind of unsettling environment it's not actually a, a, a vr church that i'd want to go to even if i was into vr but anyway so it was it was kind of presenting this idea to a, a popular audience of hey here's this guy doing church in virtual reality it's really no different than church somewhere else right that was kind of the the impetus of the video um and of course that's the the uh, the take that I expected, you know, a sort of mainstream uh, journalist would have, right? Because that's that's the air that we breathe. Um, that there's really no difference between real reality and virtual reality, um, and why wouldn't we want to do anything that we want to in virtual reality? So anyway, that really bothered me because um, I think that there is a real big difference. And my immediate reaction was, no, that's actually not church. Hmm. And you know, I. Uh, I get that it is um, potentially quite arrogant to say this is church and that's not church. Um, and, you know, luckily I'm not in a pastor or a position of authority, so I can get away with those types of things because uh, really no one listens to me anyway. Um, but I but I started to think like, okay, well, if I think that's not church, like, 
why and what what could I say to communicate this? And I think a lot of the the themes from the Christian humanism class that Brett and I were in um, really came came to me at that time. And I, I think the 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 nugget is this idea of ordinary embodied human existence, which um, I didn't come up with that term. That was uh, a term that was, I believe, coined by uh, actually my advisor at Regent College, a guy named Craig Gay, who wrote a, a great book on technology and theology um, called Technology and the Human Future, I think. Um, I might be a name wrong. That might be the subtitle. Anyway, Craig Gay's, uh, Craig Gay's book on that. And um, he really, you know, goes through the biblical narrative and explains at every point uh, God's real focus on what we might call ordinary embodied human existence. And, you know, ordinary meaning not extraordinary, just the kind of everyday existence that we have in the world is uh, sanctified and sacred uh, and holy to God and embodied being extremely important. Um, and I think that the, you know, the, the fact that, that Christianity is an incarnational um, worldview really gets at that really clearly. And mm. Craig makes that point really strongly too. You can't say that the body doesn't matter to a God that inhabited a body when obviously he didn't have to. Um, there were many other ways that God could have affected redemption, uh, but the ways that he did in fact choose to do it. And you could, you could argue this all, all the way back to creation. You could argue the way that God chose to create and the way that he created space for physical creation to have its own uh, agency and to do its physical stuff in this physical world. Um, these are all signs that, that God cares deeply about uh, the physical and that it mm -hmm. can't be divorced in any way from the spiritual or the emotional or intellectual, the way that people used to do when they talked about uh, how humanity is really to be found in our, our reason. And that's what makes us different from the animals and so on. Um, that just doesn't actually fly on a, a biblical worldview. Um, and so that was kind of my, my main point. Um, and then when, when, you know, COVID night, so all, I just had all these thoughts and of course I didn't write anything down because, um, I'm a lazy, um, you're also doing person. a lot of, a lot of things as the titles suggest. <laughs> yeah. I was too busy, like musicking and philosophizing right. and all that other stuff. Right. Um, check out my SoundCloud, by the way, actually I don't have a SoundCloud, um, <laughs> but I, but I do have a band camp you can check out anyway. So, um, yeah, I was busy doing other things and procrastinating, but then COVID-19 happened and I saw all, all of the churches basically it, within the space of a week went from in-person services to, you know, zoom services or video streaming or some form of, uh, virtual, um, church service. So I thought, okay, this, this is actually the same thing as VR church. It's the same topic. It's not, it doesn't look the same because, you know, we're used to Zoom calls and VR is this kind of fringe technology for weirdos. But to me, it's it's really the it's really the same for a lot of different reasons. So right. I thought now's the time to write this article. So I wrote this article and tried to give an analysis of virtual reality from philosophy of technology perspective, and then tried to share some of the things I just did about the biblical narrative and kind of putting them together. What does that mean for, for mm -hmm. doing church uh, in a world where everything is now virtual? So I'm on vrchurch.org right now, and I'm with you. That's weird. It's so, it is so weird. 
Uh, so if, you, if you're listening, you go to vrchurch.org and you can see it. And those blocky characters you're talking about, Jonathan, like I, I'm looking at some of these blocky characters yeah. right now. I could be a pretty cool guy yeah. at, at VR Church, you know, <laughs> have a suit every week. But so I, I guess, I guess what, what I'm saying, which I guess I could have that anyways, right? I don't need to be our church for that. I would start, I'd, I'd be more handsome. That's where I'd <laughs> yeah. start. And then maybe yeah. I would dress differently. Yeah, right. You went immediately to the suit because you've already maximized handsomeness. And I would be, and I'd be jacked. I would be jacked yeah. at VR Church. Yeah. 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 I would yeah. be probably yeah. a bodybuilder in a suit at yeah. VR Church, yeah. And occasionally just flex your abs. Right. Yeah. That probably gives this you like is, a deep... This is, the core, this is part of the core promise of virtual reality, right? Is um, being able to remake right. yourself uh, however you want without regard for uh, any limitations of physical reality. What, exactly. What's funny, because one of the quotes on vrchurch.org, which doesn't make sense to me, uh, says the possibilities are endless because we control space and time. I'm just thinking. Hmm. Oh, this is like a Nebuchadnezzar sure kind of moment. You know this, I mean? it, it, yeah. So okay, I mean, this is this happens on some podcasts that I engage with, where they pull something up online <laughs> and then they find out later that it was a joke. Is this real or is I, this? I don't know. Well, let me. I I don't I don't remember ever visiting a website. Let me go there and see if it's the same thing that it I has was. a governing board. And so anything with a governing board. Do they board, have beliefs? It has a bishop and apostle. Oh, bishop yeah. DJ Soto. Okay. Uh, oh yeah, this is the one. Yeah. Yeah. Nick Runyon, CEO at Media Tractor. Yeah. Some, so, okay. So, one of the persons is an employment brand manager at Facebook. There you go. A little dovetail for you. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so okay. many uh, things. All right. Yeah, exactly. So, 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 if you're part of VR Church, give us a call. We, we want to talk. That'd be one thing. But, but on the other hand, like, okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to contradict myself for a second. Here comes a lively conversation. I'm going to contradict myself for a second for the sake of this conversation because I do think it's something we have to think about and not be too poo-poo about, okay? Everything that has advanced mission has been trial and error at some point. So there are certain things that work and certain things that don't work. And the only way you kind of figure out like how you can faithfully communicate the gospel and love people and all those things Sometimes it's just like there's new opportunities that come up. And so when we're talking about like reaching people in the name of Jesus, I think the, I think the medium matters. I think the, the way, it's not just the message, I think the way we do it matters. So I'm not in that camp of like, we'll do anything, you know, we'll do absolutely anything to reach people. And, but on the other hand, there's some very creative applications of things like one of them, and, and again, this is not like a, a recommendation on a church or anything like that. You got to go make your own decisions. But uh, listening to the guy who, you know, the Bible app that most people use was created by Life Church. And so most people, no. okay, no, you, you wouldn't know because you, you just yeah. have a paper Bible. But the rest of us who are using, you know, technology in every area of our life, and, we, and, and us pastors who can't memorize the whole Bible but are expected to know the whole thing, we have a Bible app, Jonathan. It, it's an app on our we phone. Should keep, we should talk more about this, but, but go on. Okay, it's, there's a Bible app, and I have the app on my phone. And the creator of that is Life Church, which came out of Oklahoma. And the guy who's in charge of his name is Bobby Graywald. And, and I was listening to him talk about the, the, you know, similar to what we're talking about in terms of interface of technology and faith. It's just that he's on an early adopter, completely different um, end of the spectrum than you are. And, and he's talking about that. And there's something that they were doing interesting where, um, I mean, there's a quote, Jake, that you've been, you've been throwing around once in a while in your sermons about like when a, when a young man knocks on the door of a brothel, it, right. It's attributed to G.K. Chesterton, but it was somebody before that. I can't remember. Yeah. But, but every person who knocks on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. Right. So the idea that we're desiring creatures, that we just don't necessarily know what we're, we're looking for. But anyways, what they did is they took that principle online, 
and they started buying ad space online for people who were searching for porn. And yeah. the first thing that popped up was like, are you sure are you sure you're not looking for Jesus or something like that? Right. And it was like a top banner of like a whole bunch of and they they had people then clicking on on this ad that they know was directly associated to somebody searched for pornography, clicked on right. their church ad and watched a sermon and sent in a connect card type thing and contacted yeah. them. You know, so there's like a whole line of Yeah, so, no, so, I, that's yeah, that's a really good example and I would say that that is that's an example not of using the medium, but of trying to draw people out of the medium. So, right. I, I mean, applying that same principle to VR, like here, here's what I would say. And um, for all the reasons in my, my blog article, which you can, we can go and read if you're listening. Um, I think that VR missions uh, can, can only be a thing if you have an idea of the gospel that is disembodied. And I just, I just disagree with that characterization of the gospel. So I, I don't disagree that you might need to go to VR to find people and preach the, the gospel to them. But I would say that it's just like, yeah, if you want to preach to people in a brothel, you don't like go and like set up your own brothel business and run a brothel business you, you go in there to get them out of it yeah right yeah. No, no i'm with you just to be clear very much in agreement with what you're saying but what we're talking about is the plot of the matrix right um no i'm just messing with you guys the, can i can i ask something yeah no go yeah. back to that i mean jonathan so i mean even go back like 40 50 years and thinking about like the technology of like radio broadcasting into like remote villages places in the you know the the muslim world uh, remote tribes in the amazon th- that kind of a thing like what would be your opinion as to like the usefulness and the effectiveness and the goodness of that technology in promoting the gospel around the world yeah, I, that's a great question, and it, it gets at a common um, kind of objection that that people throw at me, which is, you know, what we're seeing today is just the equivalent of, you know, television and then telephone and then radio before that and then books before that. So, you know, because Jonathan, because you don't argue against any of those things, you must be wrong to argue against VR church. Um, so let me just say first of all that I think we have to actually take things on a case-by-case basis. And I don't think we can assume that just because something is a technological development that it is the same as some other technological development that happened. Um, You know, people often, they're sort of saying, uh, you know, it's a slippery slope argument. So, you know, basically everything goes. And my response is, well, at the end of a slippery slope might be a cliff. Like, you don't know. So... To try, you know, look, don't just slide down the slippery slope just because you've already slid down it a certain amount. Um, so I, to answer a question about, you know, radio and so on, um, I would say that, you know, there, there are probably actually significant um, negative outcomes of those developments uh, for, for missions. Um, I think, again, like, you know, we, we were talking before the we, we started recording about um, incarnational and what what you guys called life on life ministry, and so on. Right? the The radio is a is a tool that gets information across in a disembodied way. It's not fully disembodied in the sense that you still hear the contours of a, a human's voice, but it's mostly disembodied. Um, and it's designed at reaching a mass audience. So you're not talking to a single person with radio. You're talking to the mass. Of people, right? So 
that that gets you scale at at a huge cost at at a cost of of human relationship and engagement and what what is actually the gospel about is the gospel about filling as many people's minds on earth with certain information no i mean a lot of people think that but no the answer is no according to me <laughs> so i think that you have to rethink like what missions even means in that context and i would say like something that's much more you know personal is ultimately going to be much more effective for actually communicating the gospel even if it even if you're reaching fewer people with ideas and even if people's mental structures don't change as quickly as you might like but that's not something i think that god ever told us that he wanted like go and change as many people's mental structures as you can as fast as you can right but that's how people interpret the great commission well, and I think it's a component of it. It's just not the entirety of it. And so the Romans chapter 12, you know, the, we're, we're, we're transformed by the renewal of our minds. So there's an aspect of our thinking that does have to shift, and we do need good inputs that are truth. And, and, yeah. and, and I mean, technologically speaking, uh, at one point when Paul wrote a letter on papyrus and sent it to his friends in Corinth, you know, there was a bit of a disembodied thing that was going on, yet they knew him in person. And Christianity, turns out, is actually really big on books. And, and and written letter and so like that's yeah, not a no for sure there's and no I've downside been, I've to been that. shaped and encouraged by books sure. you know as, yeah at the same time as people um, so, but, but then but you, again if that was all that I'd ever had not that it would necessarily be bad but there would be something missing there'd totally be something missing and I think that's the thing is is uh, there's times where it's not the best it's not the ideal but it's 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 not uh, entirely a loss and I think you know for example back on the VR church thing. You said if you're going into VR to bring people out of it into real embodied community, that would be like a VR mission, you know, if we're going to use that as a, a, a construct for conversation. <laughs> Which is our yeah. next ministry we're starting next week. If yeah. anybody wants to sign up, you yeah, exactly. can email Brett at ChristCityChurch.ca. Mission trips into the VR world. Subject line, VR missions. That's great. VR rescue. I'm, VR rescue. I'm fine with it all. I'm fine with it all. But, but here's the reason, I think. Um, because it doesn't stay there, and that's not the telos, and so that's not the end right. goal. Like that's not the aim. And so when I was in, um, I was in North Vietnam, about eighteen months ago or something, when we could still get on planes and travel around the world, and yeah. and I was in uh, a village that they took us to to go and meet the pastor and, and some people from this church and and to sort of be exposed to it. This entire group of people, these churches that were there, uh, these people first came to Christ by a radio ministry that was being broadcast from the Philippines. They listened yeah. to it in North Vietnam, and they had no access. They had never heard the gospel. They had never heard a Christian teaching in this way. They were listening to it on the radio. They came to Christ. They figured out what it meant to become disciples of Jesus. They organized themselves in community. They got a hold of scriptures. They ended. And so, what happened was a disembodied uh, transmission yeah. that came over the airwaves. You know, in the I don't know. It was post post World War or post Vietnam War. Uh, I don't know at what point, but that ministry that was broadcasting in their language from a different country was yep. then brought that that message came to them and was so transformative that they ended up forming communities. And now those people are sending yep. missionaries into the other villages around them. And so it was a yep. very cool story. And I think it does kind of speak to some of what we have to think about missiologically as we engage this. But at the same time, let's not pretend that it would have been perfect if all they ever did was listen to somebody else speaking from a different country and never yep. actually met another person to, totally. li to and, live and that out in community. That, and let's not pretend that, ra that radio is the same as virtual reality. Like that's, that's yeah. a yes. big point that I want to make too. Like, and I actually am like much more okay with, with radio because I think the effects and consequences of radio on our formation, like we were talking about before, 
are drastically different. I mean, the being formed in VR means being formed as somebody who controls your own reality, being formed as somebody who, you know, is dissociated from your own physical body because that's kind of the point of, of VR is to make your trick your mind into thinking that you have a different body. Like all these things are just like orders of magnitude different than radio. So I think we can, we can make arguments based on the nature of the things in themselves and not just the fact that they are technologies. Yeah. Jonathan, I would love to just drive this home to our current moment right now. Yeah. So we're in this um, pandemic, socially isolated in a number of ways. Um, we distance ourselves to honor the regulations put in place and to keep one another safe and to care for the vulnerable yeah. in our yeah, community. We should. Uh, we should do that. And we've talked about that at length on the podcast and as a church. Um, how can we as followers of Jesus um, maybe escape a disembodied sort of end point here when this thing is all over where we just yeah. kind of like end this whole thing and we're just like, oh, well, I can just watch church on TV now. And I can just right. do, you know, like, so, so like, let's be very, can we be really practical about maybe yeah. some ways that we can even just live this out? Yep. I think, I think the first thing, and well, first of all, I think it's great that you're asking that question because, you know, it implies that just the continuing on with purely virtual services is maybe not the ideal, which I agree with. Um, but I think a, there's going to be a lot of churches out there who will find that because of convenience and a lot of other factors, that that will be the way that they want to, to drive going forward. So uh, instead, I would encourage us to right now have a posture of lament, right? Like I think the appropriate thing for us to feel right now is not great. Now we have online church, but uh, lamenting the loss of the embodied relationships that we have. And I think that lament hopefully will ground us such that when we have the option to have embodied relationship again, uh, we'll choose that. And I think remembering that the, 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 the virtual ways of relating we have right now, if they are good, they're only approximate good. They're not, they're not an ultimate good. Um, and then, you know, I think there are, there are specific and practical things we can do even as we use um, Zoom and other modalities to engage. Uh, one is to maybe not pretend that it's the same as before, yeah. Uh, you know, and just watching a, t a disembodied talking head give a sermon, I don't know, maybe that's not the best model mm. for this time. Maybe it's actually wasn't the best model before, but that's another conversation anyway. But maybe, it, maybe uh, I mean, one thing that we were talking for the recording that I heard you all are doing is um, kind of encouraging smaller uh, groups to have, you know, house church equivalents on Zoom. I think that's a great idea because it it retains the sense of uh, being closer to some people than others. If you just see like a sea of like a hundred Zoom boxes, it just feels very anonymous. And so, looking at you know five to twenty people or whatever, and engaging with a smaller group where you can be more interactive, I think that's a, a great choice in this time. I also think we should maybe not be afraid of trying some radically different things, maybe asking, well, if we can't do X aspect of our, you know, typical rhythm during the week, could we replace that with something that addresses uh, the, the current need in a way? Could, could we, you know, find ways of um, donating to food banks instead, or could we do some kind of 
service, even if it's not I, physical. I don't know. There's a lot of creative things you guys could come up with. I'm you, sure. You'd yeah. fit in really well around here, I think, in lots of ways, Jonathan, because those are, I mean, those are the the instincts that we had early on, and so yeah. it's you know it's encouraging here, and those are those are the things that we've leaned into. So, you know, uh, we've upped our connection with the downtown east side with the ministry down there. And yeah. so we're, we're weekly receiving uh, goods on their behalf and then delivering them to them. Uh, we yeah. had a care plan in place um, early days of the pandemic and people were losing jobs, um, you know, and, and there wasn't the clarity on the kind of support that was going to be available to them and how many of those people were getting rehired and what was happening to different industries. And so we were, yeah. we had a lot of money come in for benevolence. It was above and beyond anything we didn't ask for it. It just came in and people said, we know that you as the church will have the ability to disseminate money as needed. And so here's money and you mm-hmm. guys find the needs and we'll, and pass it on. So our elders gave oversight to that. And, um, you know, at this point, we've given away over $26,000 just since the pandemic That's started great. just for that kind of thing. And so there's lots of that. And, and what's really interesting is some of the people who are a little bit more shy in general, uh, just as, as, you know, personalities, they're not like, yeah. you know, you know, recluses or something, but just a little bit more shy. Yeah. The barrier of entry to certain things has actually lowered because of this, yeah. because they can stay yeah. in a comfortable place and they can engage. <laughs> but what'll happen is... Um, I think, and based on the conversations with the people I'm thinking of right now, those relationships will translate to in-person, real flesh and blood relationships yeah. in the long yeah. run, where there may not have been as... So So we're yeah. looking at different things. We're looking at the way that we're doing Alpha. You know, Alpha yep. was never designed to be an online course. They were adamantly against it. And then this happened, and all of a sudden, Alpha's blown up around the world in, in tremendous ways, where people who would never walk into a building or a restaurant yeah. or show up in person, that's such a deep commitment to say, I'm going to go yep. to a, a talk about this person, Jesus, with my super religious weird friend that invited me, and we're going to go and sit in a room, and I'm going to be trapped. But if I'm sitting yep. on my couch in the computer in front of me, I have the ability to escape if I have to. And uh, it's really interesting because it's just a lower barrier a barrier of entry. And so we're seeing some of those things. I think there's tremendous gains being made in lots of ways, but only if they translate to the future. Like, yeah, my, so exactly. my, wife, my wife's a fitness instructor. And so she works bivocationally. She works in vocational ministry and in... She's going to make a joke about your appearance and decided not to. But... <laughs> That's so good. This is an audio <laughs> podcast, man. My VR bot is just jacked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Jonathan, that's hilarious that you say that because my wife uh, used to work at this gym and they had a staff Christmas party all lined up. And so we, we were brand new to Vancouver. She was working at this gym as an instructor and uh, and we get invited and we go. <laughs> and I just went around the room to all of these really super fit people who are like evidently married to really super fit people. And I just walked yeah. around the room and said, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not a fitness instructor, I'm, but I am Allison's arm. Like, I'm, I'm not exactly the arm candy you take to a fitness instructor. I work at a gym. Anyways, yeah. I was like, I work, at a, I work at a desk a lot of times. I have a lot of talks. I drink a lot of coffee with people mm. and yeah. um, spend time, you know, in contemplation and writing and, and, and teaching. I'm not a, yeah. So thank you very much for, for pointing that out. So your My wife, wife is, a fitness, is a fitness instructor. And so this happens and, and all the community centers and all the different programs, everything shuts down immediately yeah and so she says well what what should we do and we're talking about this and what happened i mean she moved all of her uh her training now again you got to think this entire view of the world that we're talking about here of like the importance of life on life relationship and the embodied reality like she's she's on board with all of this Yep. Um, she runs a, a fitness boot camp as a person who thinks well about what it means to be human in the world that we live in. She doesn't run a sexy beach body boot camp, you know, that sort of is like, right. like she's not, she's the person who's like talking about holistic health 
Yeah. She's talking about like, you know, if, you know, if you feel strong, you know, your brain is going to be okay. And you're going to, there's a a, a mental health component to this. And like, she just talks about all that stuff with her, with her clients that she personal trains. And then also the people who are part of her boot camp. Now she's, she's thinking through this and goes, well, you know, one of our friends says you should try like a zoom boot camp and see if people want to do that. So she sends out a list of her whole clientele and says, I'm thinking about doing this on zoom. What do you think? And so all of a sudden she gets this like, you know, over, like she's just overrun yeah. people who want to do it. Now the thing is, yep. these people were all in person before, but they're not allowed to right now. They still yep. want to work out. They, they know that they're going to lose their marbles if they're at home and they want to work out with her in particular. So she sets this up and she b- builds this out. Now here's, here's where it gets weird for me and, and her and I've been talking about this. She's got people who are saying, I don't ever want to go back to Mm -hmm. leaving my home to go to the gym in the morning. I want you to keep doing this as a service for all of your clients. Because think about it. I save 10 minutes to get to the gym and 10 minutes on the way home. I can literally turn it on. I don't have to make myself presentable. I don't need to brush my teeth. I just literally roll out of bed, do a a workout, and then I go on with my day. And so the convenience factor is all of a sudden changing people's perception of what it means. Uh And, And here she is instructing with a bunch of Zoom accounts on there and going, what do I do? And so it's, it's a live conversation for us, for her that's business. A real, that's a real dilemma, for sure. And there's a, you know, there's a, 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 like a business direction that might make sense, but then we also have to you know, consider the larger picture of what are we saying when we encourage uh, convenience for something over an alternative. And what I learned from Albert Borgman is that you know, the convenience always brings a good. So we can be clear that you know, convenience can, can bring us a lot of goods. Um, but then there, there are often things that are lost, which we don't realize we're losing, which might also be good or which might actually in the long run be better. But by the time we've lost them, it's too late and we don't even realize that we don't have that anymore. We just have a diminished life. And so I could give lots of examples if we had more time, but like, that's a, just to, yeah, affirm that that is, that's a real dilemma and Mm -hmm. there's not, an easy answer to that, but we have to just think really clearly about if we choose convenience in this situation, what are we losing? You know, if I choose the convenience of, of Google Maps uh, in this situation, what am I losing in my own brain? You know, what what aspect of being in the world am I losing that in a cumulative effect means that I have no you know, spatial memory awareness anymore. That's the kind of thing that we have to think about. And it's, I mean, mean, you and I have talked about this before, Jonathan, where you've got Jacques Ellul, who's talking about technology from a place of efficiency. And and then you've got Borgman, who's talking about technology from a place of availability or convenience like this. And, And all of that has to be read into what it means to be a Christian, which is, which is why are we doing the work we're doing to begin with? And what I think has been very interesting with relationship to the church or someone's business like my wife who was able to take things online is that what you were doing was taking in-person incarnational relationships and for a season putting them into a different uh, mode of communication for everyone, for the sake of the health of everyone. Right. But if you get trapped there, you then give something up. And yep. so we've, we've had this conversation as pastors here talking about like, what are we going to do at the end of this? How long do we keep the, the video thing going for, for people who are still sick or maybe afraid of the consequences of COVID-19 because of their compromised immune yep. system or whatever. Uh, but at some point we will stop that at some point we, or maybe we won't, but, but at some point this will not be the driving engine of it, but we have to think about it through this grid of what it means to be human as a follower of Jesus. 
Jonathan, so helpful. Uh, always love talking with you. Um, you know, don't always agree with you, which is one of the things I like talking with you about um, because it's one of those, uh, you're one of those challenging people who has pushed me to think better uh, about our use of technology as it relates to our faith and, and in just in general. And uh, yeah, grateful for you, grateful for the work that you're doing and uh, the efforts that you've put in, uh, yeah, to, to, to write in these ways and to, to cultivate conversation around it. And so thankful for you. Thanks for coming on the podcast, making time for us and all the best. Yeah, this was awesome. Thank you very much. Hope to talk to you again. Here Be Dragons is a podcast of Christ City Church in Vancouver. You can find us online at herebedragonspodcast.com or follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Dragon Podcast.